We're getting closer to the end of our study in uh, spiritual warfare. And so uh, I want to bring a few things back to our attention, especially if, if you haven't been here, um, then I know it'll be helpful to kind of bring you up to speed. Um, in Ephesians chapter 6, 10 through 20 is this wonderful passage about the kind of uh, spiritual warfare that we're in. Um, we're told to put on the whole armor of God. We need this armor. Uh, what are we fighting against? The schemes of the devil. Uh, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers over this present darkness. Um, therefore, we need what's called the whole armor of God. And there's pieces of equipment like the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, shoes uh, for your feet with um, readied by the gospel of peace, and then a shield of faith, helmet of salvation, sword of the Spirit. And the last thing is in verse 18, uh, that we are to pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Praying in the Spirit is what I want to talk about today. And uh, we're not actually going to get to Romans Eight, I have several passages to end and I'll give you those passages because we're going to look at those next week. I thought we would um, progress into that today, but I, I think it'll be very beneficial for you at the end. I'll give you several passages that I want you to read. And the question you're going to be asking is like, what does it actually mean to pray in the spirit? Um, I'm sure you would agree that evil has a leader, and so does good. Um, evil just doesn't happen in a vacuum, that there is actually uh, someone who leads and spearheads evil and wickedness in the world. So sometimes you say, uh, you see something, you go, well, who did that? Evil's not this neutral thing that just happens, and some people say, oh, well, that's evil. The question is, well, who's behind that? Um, what's caused that? Same thing with something good or God-honoring happens or something really beneficial, positive. Um, you could say, well, who's behind that? And that would be God. And so there's this great struggle. And so if there's a real way to simplify spiritual warfare, it's like when something really bad happens, um, truly evil, you can ask the question, well, who's behind that? And it's going to be Satan. And if something good happens, who's behind good? Ultimately, that would be God. So that's a really, really simple way of thinking about spiritual battle. We're looking behind the curtain. Who's behind that? One of the things, if we're going to be able to engage in this warfare, this spiritual warfare, we need to know how to engage, and one of the most important things that you and I need to talk about is praying in the Spirit. What does it mean to pray in the Spirit? So I want to ask uh, several questions. These are real simple. These are not hard. I think most people in here are going to either raise their hand or like going, yeah, I probably should raise my hand, but I'm just going to sit here. It's, it's fine. So who believes in prayer? Pretty pretty wide representation here. So who has ever experienced frustration with prayer? 
probably all the same, exact same hands went up, I'm guessing. If not, then we need to talk about lying. Okay, so who's had prayers answered? Yeah, that's amazing. Amazing. Um, who would like to learn how to be more effective in prayer? It seemed like all the same hands went up every question. Um, because I think that is our Christian experience. This is common experience. If you believe in prayer, then you've had frustrations at times or you've been dry and it's like, oh, I'm not sure God is listening. And sometimes you've experienced the joy and like going, was, wait a minute, was that like just coincidence or is that a result of my praying? That's a pretty exciting moment when you're kind of going, I don't, I don't think it was coincidence. I was actually, it's not normal that I was not normally pray for this or ask for this and this very specific thing kind of just felt like it had to be God and that's exciting for a young Christian to actually realize that their prayers have this ability to um, change and affect, affect change in our world um, but I think all of us would like to know how to pray more and there's this thing in the Bible that's often referred to as praying in the spirit and we're going to talk a little bit about what that doesn't mean and and what it does mean. So I, I just want to begin by saying that prayer is where we get power for spiritual warfare. You want power. You want the presence of God, the power of God. You want to see something that can impact change at a level that you can't. I, I can move chairs. Someone moved chairs in here today, but I can't move the people sitting in the chairs. I can't, I can't move I can't move you towards God. I can't move you. I can be an instrument of God. I can preach the word of God. I can tell you about God. I can set up the gospel and give a very wonderful and accurate presentation of the gospel. And I can move chairs when you get out of them. But I can't move you who are sitting in the chair in the direction that the chairs are here so that you can sit here and listen and be moved by God. I can't do the second part. No, no one can. God can. And therefore, as we engage spiritually, that's what we're praying will happen. We're asking God to do what we can't. I can't, you can't. You, maybe you brought a friend today and you're like going, oh God, I may, I'm hoping this will be helpful. And I brought, you can drive them here, but you can't, that's where your work stops. At least it stops in terms of your ability. Your work doesn't stop because you're asking God to do what you can't even while you're here today. Okay, so prayer is where we get power. Power from spiritual warfare. All God's soldiers must be familiar with prayer. Ephesians 6.18, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Uh, I, I want to say that a lot of people think they're praying who aren't praying. A lot of people think they're praying. A lot of people are actually saying prayers. Did, did you know that saying a prayer is not necessarily praying? You can say a prayer, but you're not really praying because you're not in the spirit. It, you have to have the spirit to pray. You can't just say a prayer. You can't just fling prayers before a ball game. You know, it's like, oh, we did, um, we did the Lord's Prayer and they didn't. We're going to win. You didn't. Most of the people who do that aren't praying. They're just saying what the coach said every day in practice. That's not really praying. It might be. Some of people might actually mean it. But in order for a prayer to be praying is that it has to be the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is how you can commune with God who is in heaven. The Holy Spirit is who He bridges the gap. He reaches. 
his, his cord goes all the way to heaven. It's like um, I, I mentioned in the first service that I like to, I'm, I'm, I'm older, but I'm still all boy. And um, I like to play tricks and stuff like that. So when my wife's vacuuming, um, she's out there vacuuming and I'll go in the other room and unplug it. And I just do stuff like that. I'm sorry. Um, that's just me. And she's like, she no longer gets it now. It's just like, funny, honey. It's like, I get no joy out of that anymore. She knows that trick. So I have to come up with new ones. But all I do is I unplug it and there's no power. And she's like going along and just. And that's the way so many Christians are. We have this wonderful tool of prayer. But unless you're plugged in, it's not doing anything. You're just rolling over the carpet with an unplugged vacuum cleaner, which does absolutely nothing. Just spreading the dirt around, making it worse probably. And so many people think they're praying and they go, yeah, I'm praying. Or I went and I kneeled and I said a prayer and I did this before I hit the baseball or didn't hit it or whatever. Um, and people think they're praying, but they're not at all in tune with the Holy Spirit. They're just like flinging something out there and there's no power in it. The power comes from God and the power from our prayers are when we are connected and connected with God. I, I think the, the electrical cords was an older, older analogy and it fit really well because it's the power source. But I think another one that's really good too is like Wi-Fi because it's wireless and prayers wireless. You know, we don't need the cord really. And actually, when, I, when I'm at home, wireless means I go somewhere and I want to know, hey, what's the, what's the passcode? What's the password? And you go somewhere and you're like going, oh, I got this ability. I've got my phone or computer and I, I can access bukus of information. But I have, to have a, I have to have Wi-Fi. I have to have connection. And God gives us incredible potential for communing with Him but some people don't know the password. It's not abracadabra. It's not um, the password is Jesus. And you have to know Jesus. And it's not just typing in the name Jesus. It's actually Jesus is himself the, the password. And that's how we connect and communicate with God. So the first thing you need to know about prayer is prayer happens when you're connected with Jesus and you're like the Wi-Fi goes on and everything that's available to God is now available to you okay so that's what that's what happened when in Genesis chapter 4 in Genesis 3 was the fall of man people fell into sin and sin ruined everything and they were cast out of the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3 but Genesis 4 um, even after they're cast out, God had given them hope. And Genesis 4, natural man, the human beings walking around finally realized, man, I, if I'm going to, I'm here for more than just to eat, eat fruit and, um, you know, build houses and stuff like that. And it said that at that time, people began to call upon the name of the Lord. So suddenly that dawned on certain people that I need, a, I need to know God. And somewhere in your life that happens. Somewhere along life you're like going, that's fun to eat and play games and make money and enjoy music and life and entertainment. But somewhere along the way something realized and you're like, I need to call upon God. I'm only half a person. I'm not fully alive. 
until I know God. And so something happened, just like in Genesis 4, it said people began to call upon the name of the Lord. And we discover we can't live without God. We need God. And seeking God begins by calling on the name of the Lord. So if you're wanting to know about prayer and how religion works and how Christianity works and what benefit is there, the first thing you need to do is you need to become a seeker of God. And so you begin to seek God. And that's, the, that's where it starts. You begin seeking. You're praying like, God, are you there? Um, can you hear me? Are you approachable? Is there something, some way I can connect with you? And you start learning and like, what is this gospel I hear about? And you start asking questions. And so you become, you recognize at some point you stop gathering information and you just simply call out to God. The while you're gathering people like, oh, I want to learn about religion. I want to learn about God. I, a Bible study sounds interesting, but at some point you're like going, I, I, need, I need God. I don't need any more information. I need God himself. And so that's where prayer begins. And God hears that prayer. He loves that prayer when someone finally just says, I need you, God. And prayer starts. And God begins to intercede. And God begins to work in your heart. Especially at some point he says, well, what you need is my son. And God responds to that cry, that seeking cry. And he leads people. He leads people to Christ. And the, when the person that calls out to God, the light goes on, connection is on. And you're up and running and praying. And it might be like Jacob in Genesis 32 when Jacob wrestled. Remember the story of Jacob wrestling with God? And Jacob's name means deceiver. So he had spent his whole life deceiving people, deceiving himself, um, tricking people, manipulating people, getting... He was all about himself and figuring out he wanted to run his life. He didn't want anyone telling him what to do. I don't need God. I don't need you. I'm going to figure out I'm the one that knows how to run my life, and so he wanted nothing to do with anyone controlling him, even God. And finally, Jacob was totally radically changed in Genesis 32 when he finally realized, I need God in my life. And he's like, I'm not letting go. He was in a wrestling match. I'm not letting go until you bless me. And that's where maybe some of you are in that wrestling match and you've been wrestling. It's like, I don't know. But it finally comes and it's like, I need, I need you, God, and I'm not letting go. Like You don't just get up and walk away. It's like, I'm not letting go. And so many people do religion. They do religion for a while, and they try. It's like, I oh, tried that, didn't like it, tried that, didn't like it. But they're letting go. They just walk away and let go before they ever get the real deal. And Jacob was a great example to us. Don't let go. Don't let go. Don't, don't try a little, dab a little you know, learn a little, read a little, check this out, check that out. You just finally got to get to where I need you, God, and I'm not letting go till you bless me, till you speak to my heart. And that's what a genuine seeker of God does. That person will find God. The one that says, the Bible says, seek the Lord with all your heart and you'll find me. It doesn't say seek a little, fix a little, fit me into your life. Give me a corner. I just want a corner. Jesus doesn't want a corner. He doesn't come in for a corner. He comes in to take over. And until you get there, it's like, let me take over. I, I'll be good to you. I'll be better to you than anybody. Who else? Who's taking over there? You running the show? I'll do better than you do. You sold your soul to something else. You sold you, whatever it is you're chasing. Jesus says, when I come in, I'm, I'm superior, vastly superior. So prayer, like that kind of really seeking God is what connects us to God and his will and his power. And you have to seek God and cry out to God and persevere until you get an answer. Um, 
we desperately need we desperately need praying in the spirit. Prayer is how you connect with God. And secondly, we need to pray in the spirit. This book we've given out, we, we bought 50 and people grabbed them. We bought 50 more and people grabbed them. We bought 20, 30 more and people, let me see. I think we went to 20 after that and then 50 more. And we, we just bought this book and everybody kept grabbing it. And we said um, 14 days ago, for two Sundays ago, I, I mentioned this to people. and said, we're going to do 21 days of prayer, um, 21 days of transforming prayer. So people started grabbing the books and people were come up to me and going, man, this book is awesome. This book has changed the way I think about prayer. So many. How many people have the book? How many people were among those that got it? And I'm assuming that some of you started reading and, and you started reading it and you go, like, God, this is so helpful. I've had people come to me and say, I knew the things that the book was talking about, but I didn't quite grasp it just the simplicity of the way it described things I already knew. It just it put it in a package I could understand. It 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 said it in a way that struck me more deeply. And I want to read you a couple of things in this book because I think, I think this book is about praying in the Spirit. We need, prayer, we need to pray in the Spirit. We don't need dry, dead prayers. I don't need any more memorized prayers. Memorized prayers are fine. I do not have a problem with people saying the Lord's Prayer. Let me rephrase that. I do have a problem with people saying the Lord's Prayer. I don't have a problem with people praying the Lord's Prayer. There's a huge difference. And you can memorize it for years and have this little thing you go through and oh, it takes me 30 seconds or whatever. What good is that unless you're actually praying? Saying a prayer is not praying a prayer. And we need, we need prayer. We need real prayer. Otherwise, we've got all these wonderful tools. We've got a shield of faith and a helmet of salvation and there's our, our feet, our shoes are on. We're ready to go. We've got no power. We're completely unplugged and we're just running out there thinking in the name of the Lord, we're going out there with a sword and but we're in the flesh. And few people do greater harm to the work of God than people who are out there in the name of God without the power of God. They're out there in the name of religion, out there flashing their sword around and holding up their sword and running forward. But they're not in the spirit. They're in the flesh. Fleshly living is destructive to the work of God's kingdom. And so how in, the, how in the world do I get in the spirit? Okay, so let me just say how badly it's needed in the introduction to this book and the introduction uh, Jim Cimbala wrote, the Christian church must be stirred to arise and live out the calling Jesus gave us as salt and light. So will you agree? We have to be stirred. It's not naturally. Someone's got to stir us up. Otherwise, we're just a bunch of dead logs. We're just coming here and we go, we just sing. Or maybe we even get excited about singing, but we're not excited about God. You can go, people get excited at concerts. That doesn't mean they're excited. People go to worship concerts. It doesn't mean they're necessarily worshiping. It's, it's pretty exciting stuff. If you turn the music up loudly and someone really gifted singing and you, you get the rhythms going right, you can have, you can have something, something's going on. But it doesn't necessarily mean that God, God is there. We want God here. The Christians, and we have to be stirred up. We can settle for something so low, so 
far from the real thing. The Christian church must be stirred to arise and live out the calling Jesus gave us as salt and light. But how can we see a radical change in the spiritual landscape without a radical return to prayer and the Word by the body of Christ? And I think he's saying praying in the Spirit. In light of the fire, to light the fire of revival, we need to pray in the Spirit according to the Word and will of God, which means we must be in the Spirit and we must be in the Word. You want to start a revival, then get in the Word and start praying out of the Word. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to get into this book and out, and it works its way in and it works its way out. We come into the book and people, I'm going to tell you, if you love Bible study, if you love a good lecture or a good sermon, you're a sermon guy. Give me sermons. I want four hours of sermons. I want more sermons. Sermon podcasts, sermons. Oh, I love sermons, love learning, learning, learning. But you, you become dangerous. The more you learn about God without God, the more dangerous you become. You're supposed to learn about God in order to know God. Like God is the goal, not your knowledge of God. Your knowledge of God is not a worthy goal. It's a not, not, not head knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. You need experiential knowledge. You need knowledge of experience with God. And therefore, knowledge about God to you should be a means to knowledge of God. It's like I want to know about Him because I want to know Him. It's not like someone fawning over a, a, a famous person that they're never going to know. It's like, I know everything about this person. I know when they were born, what toothpaste they like, where they had breakfast today. I know all the details of their life. Have you ever met him? No. Well, why do you know so much? Because they're interesting and it's cool and I'm like their top fan. God's not looking for fans. He's looking for sons and daughters. Okay? And that comes by spiritual connection and the Holy Spirit. And this, um, we do this by seeing the Word of God as a means to God. And when we combine getting in this book and we start reading the Bible and out of what we're reading, we start talking to God about it. We immediately move. from It goes from here to here. And we just, we're reading and we go, oh Lord, let's talk about it. That's amazing. It's amazing. I, I want to, so there's this spiritual activity going on. That's what it is, is praying in the Spirit. There's, we're in the Spirit. We're walking, connected, interested in the Spirit of God. So praying in the Spirit is not only New Testament, but it is easier in the New Testament. The Holy Spirit was active in the Old Testament, but He's explosive in the New Testament. He was more localized in the Old Testament, but He's globalized in the New Testament. It's like larger measures, more, of, more available, because God was holding off to this explosive power until Christ came and rose from the dead. And when Christ came and rose from the dead, that was the indicator, that was the moment, that was the signal. It's like we're going global. It's like local, local, local. Watch, keep your eyes on this little nation of Jews, Jews people. These are my people because out of them, they weren't thy people because they're special. Just read Deuteronomy 8, I think the chapter says, oh, you chose us not because we were anything special, but you had a special plan and in your mercy you included us. And so God was working through this little nation. 
And, and, but it was pretty narrow. It was a pretty narrow strip of salvation in the Old, Old Testament. And it's because God was working and He had proclaimed that the salvation to all people would come through a, a, one person and it happened that person was going to be born through the Jewish nation. So the Holy Spirit was guiding, directing them. And the Old Testament say, and when this person comes, that person is going to be full of the Holy Spirit. The most full Holy Spirit filled person that ever walked the face of the earth was the Son of God. And so the Gospels is about when that man 100% full of the Holy Spirit came. So Jesus was the Spirit-filled man. No one's ever been as full of the Spirit. Jesus didn't have any other spirit. He was full. There was no pocket of rebellion, no record of sin against God. He was the man full of the Holy Spirit. If ever man, you want to know what a man full of the Holy Spirit looks like, it's Jesus. And the Gospels was Jesus coming full of the Holy Spirit to do nothing but the will of God. He came to do the will of God, and in doing the will of God, He obeyed all the law of God. Therefore, He could become the Lamb of God. He could be the perfect sacrifice because He was full of this Holy Spirit. He never stepped outside the boundaries of Spirit-filled living. Jesus was our example, our model. Jesus was full of the Holy Spirit. And then he rose, he died and rose from the dead. And, and basically God the Father, Son and Spirit say we're going global. And the resurrection was the markers like, all right, he defeated death. We're going global. We're going to proclaim what the Son of God has done. And that's what we're in that, we're, we're in the global phase. And the gospel is going forward. And it's going forward because people, the Holy Spirit is filling people, using people, calling people, summoning people. And the Holy Spirit is taking people and opening their eyes to truths in this book and then beginning to fill them and they want to work it out. They, God works it in and the Spirit then begins to work, work it out. And that's what it means to be full of the Spirit of God that Pentecost comes into our hearts and we experience the Holy Spirit in line with the purposes of God, which is to fill the earth with the glory of God and take the gospel everywhere. And we're in that. And, and we got to be getting closer because the gospel's all going all over the place. We got to be, we got to be getting closer. It's like, it's, there's not that many places left, especially now that Wi-Fi, people can hear about gospel and every, like everyone's connected. And the gospel can, is just running wild. It's going out there. It no longer has to be in a Bible in a boat with a missionary. It's just like going. And in light of that means God is working. And God is working means God needs soldiers. And God wants His soldiers to have their armor on and full of the Holy Spirit and praying in the Spirit. So do you want to learn to pray in the Spirit? Do you want to learn to pray in the Spirit? Well, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a couple of pointers. Um, number one, I would say Psalm 46.1, be still. And know that I'm God. That's what God says. You want to learn to pray in the Spirit, and the first thing you do is stop running around everywhere. Be still in my presence. Be still and know that I'm God. Praying in the Spirit means praying by the Holy Spirit and praying in alignment 
with the Holy Spirit and praying out of the energy and thought and communion with the Holy Spirit. Due to our infection with modern distraction and hurry, we do not experience the presence of God because we move before He settles upon us. We rush into prayer or worship and ask God to come and work. But while the cloud is just beginning to settle over us, we are up and off. We leave before the work is done. We leave before any answers come. We go out into battle before hearing from our commander. And then we say prayer does not work or God is not listening to my prayers when the truth is we're not willing to wait upon the Lord. The problem is God is speaking, but we're leaving before the dew drops. We're just running out. We have turned prayer into another one of our things that we can do in 30 seconds. I'm good. I'm fast. I can multitask. You don't need to multitask when you're in God's presence. You need the one task. And that is to be still and know that I'm God. And you wait and you listen. And you just find yourself settling into His presence. Um, have, have any of you, um, you ever gone to the, been in a hurry and you're like traveling or something or you got somewhere to go and you're like super hungry and you, you see you're like going past the fast food place and the line doesn't look too long. You think, oh man, I can, I can zip in there. And you zip in line and you, you, or, you place your order and you get in line and you realize, oh man, the line's not moving. And like five minutes goes by and the one car goes forward and you're like, what is going on? And you're in, all of a sudden you're like going, I'm going to be, I'm going to be late. Yeah, I'm hungry, but I got to go. And you're just like out of there. You've done that. I've done that. I've I've left mad. It's like, what are they doing? I'm going to complain. Where's the, uh, give me. McDonald's app. I'm complaining right now. I'm going to send this to headquarters. Someone needs to do something. Because I didn't get my food and I was in a hurry and it's supposed to be fast food. What a joke. And you're like, you're mad and you're out of there. It's exactly what we do in prayer. We hop in line and we put our order in and we want God to answer. So I don't got time to wait around for God. I'm up and out of there. And so we have brought our our mindset of fast life and fast living and modern conveniences into a, into a room where it doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. God doesn't, God's not like fast food. Here, fast food, prayer. God's like, if you want my power, then you're going to have to trust me. And you're going to have to trust me by slowing down when you come in to the room with me. I can handle the things that are driving. I can handle. I see you're all jacked up and all anxious about everything. I, got, I can handle that. I'll give you the answer. But first you need to seek me. In this book, Transforming Prayer, in day one, in day one it says, worship-based prayer seeks the face of God before the hand of God. God's face is the essence of who He is. 
God's hand is the blessing of what He does. God's face resents His personal presence. God's hand expresses His provision for needs in our lives. I have learned that if all we ever do is seek God's hand, we may miss His face. But if we seek His face, He will gladly open His hand and satisfy the deepest desires of our hearts. This approach to prayer always begins with a focus on biblical spirit-empowered worship. It is distinctively different than the traditional approach that emphasizes prayer requests and long list of needs as the foundation of prayer. Christ taught a worship-based approach to prayer. It is not complicated. While the term may sound a bit different, the approach is not difficult. Ultimately, it is as pure as opening the scriptures and the soul and spirit-led communion with Christ and allowing Him to set the agenda from every prayer time you enjoy. So let me see if I can restate that to add to what was written in day one. So prayer in the spirit is settling into a spiritual mindset where we give ourselves time, the time it takes, whatever time it takes for us to want nothing more than God's coming in our hearts. Whatever his next move is, we're putting ourselves in posture to be in alignment with God. So prayer in the spirit is when you come and you're waiting on God to align you. Now, I want to, I want to tell you my experience as an early Christian about praying in the spirit. Um, I was a young Christian. I was probably 18, 19. And I grew up in a very... Um, Uh, I grew up in a setting, a very, I'll put it this way, of, of, it was definitely, definitely not anything near a Pentecostal setting. So it's like, no, speaking in tongues, those are wild folks, wild people, a church that gets too loud and does a lot of clapping, that's too radical. It's like very calm, very calm. Um, put you to sleep, calm. Um, church, that was me, that's where I grew up. Okay, and then I began reading my Bible and I realized there were Christians that are having experiences that were different than mine. And I was like, uh, like some of them were pretty radical, but some of them sounded biblical. And so I was, I, was, I was interested in the part that I thought was biblical. And so I went to some churches that were more charismatic, Pentecostal, and um, some of them mildly so, some of them wildly so. Um, probably did a little bit of both. But I, was, I just wanted to follow my Bible. I was a young Christian and say, well, what does God's word say? And what is a biblical experience? And so I went to a church for quite a few weeks because I met this person that I worked with and he was a young person like me seeking God. And he went to more of a charismatic church and I'm like going, okay, I, I, we would talk and he really loved the Lord and I was pretty excited about God. I was a young Christian, super excited. And so I went there a few times um, not the church where he went, but one, because he lived further away, but an, another church. It was a, a church, and so I'm, I'm there, and 
Um, they're talking about speaking in tongues, praying in tongues, doing things that I wasn't familiar with. And I, I don't know if they just knew I was a newcomer. I don't know. But next thing I know, there's a bunch of people circling around me, telling me to spray in tongues. And I'm like going, well, I only got one and it's not doing what you're asking. And so um, they told me to be still and just let God let it go and loose my tongue was they loose your tongue and just let it go and I was like I don't know what you're referring to but I, I just got the feeling that what they were trying to do with me wasn't God and I thought this doesn't feel like it's God and I, I think the Holy Spirit is very capable of giving me the ability to do this if it's of the Spirit of God so I just basically finished up I think I probably frustrated them and they I think they just thought that I was in rebellion against God because I wasn't cooperating. Um, I wasn't cooperating with them, it's true. Um, but it didn't end my search for this. It didn't make me think. I just thought what they did wasn't biblical. I didn't think that praying in tongues was necessarily unbiblical because it was in my Bible. I just wanted to understand what my Bible was talking about. I didn't think they were representing it fairly by I never read in the Bible it's like people are going to do this to do this. It felt like they wanted to do this to me. And I was like, no, if, I, if this is done to me, I want God to do it. So I want to tell you where I am. I've, I've gone through, I've read a lot. I've, I've prayed with people. I've prayed with people who've prayed in tongues. I've, I've done that. So I just want to say when, when the Bible refers to praying in the Spirit, there are certain places that you'll go that that phrase means praying in tongues. I want to tell you where I am. I believe that that is one way you can pray in the Spirit. We have people in our church that have spiritual prayer language. We have people that pray in tongues in our church. And uh, that may shock you. And it may actually shock you if I told you who. Because you would be going, no way, not that. I thought they were cool. <laughs> it's like, they are. But I want to say, I think that's one of the ways people commune with God in prayer and that if God wants to do that God does do that I believe that's very real he hasn't done that for me I don't have I've asked him many times and I've never quit asking him I still ask him I'll ask him this week and it's like Lord God what if there's a gift that you want me that you think I need to lead this church then give that gift to me and I am what would be called a non-cessationist. A cessationist is someone thinks those particular certain giftings of the Holy Spirit that have ceased and are no longer. So they are, they are a cessationist. Like, no, those gifts don't exist anymore. I have a lot of people in that camp that I greatly respect, and I'm just not in that camp anymore. Um, I haven't been in that camp for a long time. It's been many, many years before I actually moved to Silva. So it's not like a new thing. And like, who did Pastor Scott have, start having lunch with? It's none of that. Okay. Um, it's more never being completely satisfied with what I was reading in my Bible and what I was hearing. But now I'm, I want to say where I am. I just want you to say, um, if you have the gift of praying in tongues, then God bless you. And, I, and if it's from God, then I want you to have that. But when we talk about praying in the Spirit, I'm, I'm generally not talking about that. I'm talking about something every Christian must have. 
And every Christian needs to pray in the Spirit. You need to pray in the Spirit. And to me, praying in the Spirit is based upon understanding the mind of God, which is, which is in His Word. I'm not saying He can't still say something. I'm not saying that. But I do know that this is the revealed will of God. I do know this is God's Word. And I do believe that this is how God... God I do know that God speaks through His Word. I'm not saying it's the only way He speaks because I know and hear stories constantly of people having dreams and getting saved. Especially in the Muslim world. There is a revival taking place in parts of the Muslim world that does not get on the news. And it's not being said, but there are people coming to faith who have never even picked up a Bible, never even seen a Bible. And then they begin to pursue and they end up with a Bible because God leads them and teaches them and they have visions of Christ and they go become Christians. There are supernatural things happening in our world. But if you want to pray in the Spirit, which I'm saying you need to, you must, then you need to be able to take this book. You need to be, have the Spirit of God. You need to be born again. You need to be a Christian. And if you're a Christian, then praying in the Spirit means you read this book and you wait upon God and you wait for God to align you with His will. And then you know how to pray. You pray Scripture because God has already said that's what He's going to do and wants to do. And then you come into Scripture and you seek His face before you seek His hand. Nothing wrong with a prayer list. Um, but I do think after I've been thinking about this more in recent weeks, I have found the most refreshing thing taking place. And that is that it's my aim to go and be with my Lord. And then my Lord has told me things in His Word and my love for God's Word has, has elevated recently where I was just like, Lord, I look forward I want to read your word and I want to talk to you about it. And then I want you to realign my life. So I come and I want to humble myself before God. And then I say, Lord God, take my fleshly way of viewing things and help me to surrender to your purpose and align. I, I come there and I sit and wait for God to align me. And then I find myself becoming in the spirit. And I start thinking about what's on God's heart. And I'm less bothered by what makes my anxiety level starts coming down. And I sit in the presence of God and then I start thinking wonderful thoughts of God. Like, Lord God, you are so good. Forgive me for getting so worried about this. Why do I doubt your control? Lord, look at the righteousness of Christ. Of course, I'm protected and shielded. Look at his perfect righteousness. Lord, I want to go out and share the gospel. And yes, I'm intimidated and I'm afraid because this person is, gets angry or, or people are going to get mad. Or, and it's like, trust me. Okay, Lord, I know. And, and here's what I found. The more that I find myself realigning, the more I'm worried about getting my way. And I start finding that I, that his way is good. 
And I just, I just, it's like I get moved. And no longer I'm, I'm in walking into the presence of God to get my will. I find that his will becomes sweet to me. And that's when I begin to know that I'm aligning with the Spirit. To me, that's praying in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit agrees with God's Word. And then God's Word began to move into me that I agree with God and His Word. And then while I'm there, He begins to talk to me and lead me and guide me what He wants me to pray about and what He wants to do. And it's often, most often different when I go out than when I come in. When I come in, I have an, a Scott agenda. But if I'll sit there long enough, I leave with a God agenda. And somewhere in there, the Spirit, it, I'm, I enter into a spiritual communion with God. And that's where I'm praying in the Spirit. Okay, um, we need to close. Thank you, God. Um, just pray um, that you will help us and speak to us and lead us and and commune with us and we want to come today and we want to lay down our burdens we're anxious we come into the prayer room so time many times with an agenda um and that where we go with it and we rush through it and we get up and rush out of there and nothing's really happened and we think prayer doesn't work when the truth is we got up before you even really started working forgive us god forgive us when we rush and we think and we do, we pray prayers in the flesh. Teach us to pray in the spirit, oh God. Please help us. We need your power in our lives. We don't need you to bless our plans. We need to surrender our plans to your wisdom and power and glory and goodness. We want to come. Teach us to sit a while when we come, God. Teach us to sit. We don't just rush in like a drive through, but that you want to work in our hearts. Help us and teach us to pray in the Spirit of God. Please, Lord, we need this so desperately. In Jesus' name, amen.